I'm Dr. Nathan, and during the last episode, I was talking about myself and solo practitioners in general dealing with after-hour emergencies. While this may just be a personal journey, I hope this conversation helps other young vets out there or older vets see what I went through, and it helps them make decisions that will help them with their work-life balance. I hope it helps clients see how vets make their decisions so you know it isn't all about the money. Speaking of which, since I ended talking about the money on the last episode, let's talk about the compromise I came up with before I stopped seeing after hour emergencies at the end of 2022. It was 2020. I had a brick and mortar clinic that was seven minutes away from my home. I decided instead of doing so many farm calls, I would start having people haul their animals to my clinic in the after-hour emergencies. I had more equipment and better lighting for the emergencies and would charge less at the clinic than at the farm. It should be a win-win. A win for the owner with better work at less price. And for me, the vet, what did this do? Oh my gosh, time. Instead of me spending 20 minutes to an hour driving somewhere, an hour working on an animal, and 20 minutes to an hour home, I was mostly home in, let's see, seven minute drive, seven minute drive home, maybe in, we'll say an hour and 14 minutes, which is much better than three hours of my night gone. It was a sigh of relief, and I was able to see more, even multiple emergencies at once. But... Do you know what happened? I got extreme pushback, especially from horse clients. You want me to haul my horse? Um, yeah, you said it had a cut on its face. That's insane! I can't haul my horse! You said it got cut when you were getting off the trailer coming from a show. So, yeah. From the horse clients, I got this ridiculous pushback. So, I offered farm calls. But, if I was going to go to the farm instead of a more convenient option for me, I was going to charge for it. So, I said, it will be $300 for me to come out. I've polled horse people by watching the Facebook forums. It seems some people throughout the country thought $300 was highway robbery, while other people were like, pay the vet, we've seen even higher. My clients seem to fall in the former. Oh my gosh, that's price gouging. Um, it's half that if you come to the clinic. No, you must come out, but I won't pay that. Oddly enough, when my ER fee was around $200, I had a lot of people tell me it's cheap enough, just come on out versus me hauling into you. Apparently with $300, I found the breaking point. So here we were. I was trying to see emergencies and offer variable price options for people, and no one seemed to be happy. And that's more what I'm going to talk about today. What I was dealing with during the emergencies and the phone calls I received that did not turn into emergency work. Just phone calls, which interrupted my life. So what were the things I was dealing with? Sure, there were the successes and fun stories. But what was I also dealing with? Midnight price checks for one. Or yeah, yes, a call over Thanksgiving to the ER line to check a price. 
I've also had some drunk people call me uh, to talk about how much they love their animals. I interrupted being with my family to give someone a price check on a routine service. Um, as a solo practitioner, I am the one answering the phones after hours. I thought about having text answer and I thought about an answering service to screen ERs from non-ERs. But that takes a more experienced tech than I currently had or putting trust in some phone company who don't know or understand my clients. So it was me. A direct line to the doctor. I mean, where do you get this? Certainly not at your local doctors. Price checks were annoying, but whatever. There are also the people that don't pay. This one still gets me. I remember it was the last Christmas I was able to spend with my grandmother. She died not long after. But we were all together having dinner and opening presents, warm and cozy, knowing this would probably be our last Christmas with Grandma. We all braved the blizzard to get to her house for festivities. Of course, the emergency phone rings and there's a horse colicking. So I interrupted that time, went out, and worked on the horse, and the owners didn't pay me. Was it worth it? Was it worth losing time with my loved ones to risk my life on icy roads to end up not being paid? And fighting to get paid on emergencies is a challenge. I don't know how many conversations I have had and people tell me at the end of the phone call they don't have the funds. That breaks my heart and it breaks their heart. Thankfully, they usually say this at the phone call, so it's not it's just wasted time me telling them I can't help them, but sometimes it's the end of the emergency call after I've done the work. The client, I am sure, reasons this as they did what they had to to save their beloved pet, a family member. And sure, if they just do that, my business will survive. But if they do it, and their friend, and their friend's friend, suddenly I'm not making the money to pay the bills. <laughs> or, oh yeah, this is one of my favorites. I went out to a cow once, and we worked on it, and it was one I was unable to fix. After working myself into a sweat on the snow-covered ground, breaking my equipment in the process, on a Sunday afternoon, I stopped, saying, I can do more, but you don't have the facilities to hold the cow, so I can't do the C-section. I need this cow restrained. The best I could do was give some injections and hope that this helps, but this was beyond my skill if they didn't have access to better facilities. They didn't have money on them, so they said they would bring me the money the following day. They didn't and still haven't paid me. They claimed I charged too much and had another vet out who saved the cow. I congratulate them on their and the other vet's success and reminded them I may have loosened the jar of pickles, so to speak, for the other vet. But regardless, informed them they still owed the money as the work I did was work. They told me I didn't deserve the money for the work I did, even though they specifically agreed to the price beforehand even when it was explained to them that the outcome may not be that good. Oh, and then there was a client. She called with her cat and explained her problem. I was like, that's serious. I don't think I have the equipment to deal with it. I recommend going to a better 
equipped emergency clinic. She refused, saying, why would she drive 45 minutes to help her animal? I was a little befuddled. So I came in and saw it, telling her the same as before when I sent the animal home. I've only put band-aids on the problem. I didn't fix anything. It needs more care than I can provide. The cat died. The next day she called and transferred her records of all her other patients, saying that I wasn't a go that good of a vet. So as vets, we see emergencies, and we get punished for it by not being paid and losing clients. Because emergencies are often worst case scenarios, and the results aren't always good. A lot of times the clients take their emotions from a challenging situation out on the vet who is providing help. Unlike human hospitals where you could maybe request another doctor, we as a business owner just lost future business because of a bad case. Not bad medical care, mind you, just a bad outcome. Then, and this gets to me more, there is a blatant disregard for our safety. One of my friends was called out on an emergency once for a horse. The owner was like, here's the canoe. My friend was like, oh, what is this for? Well, Doc, see that island a few hundred yards over there? That's usually a hill in my field. But as you know, we're in a horrible flood. So you have to go in this canoe around all those treetops poking out of the water and those rapids there and get to the horse. My friend did not see that horse. Once someone called me and asked me to come out instead of their regular vet. I asked, um, why aren't you calling your regular vet who is treating this animal already? Well, Doc, you see, it's late at night, and I didn't want him to drive in the dark on curvy back roads. They might get hurt. But you're okay with me driving on those back roads? I didn't go out there either. Another time, I was asked to come out to a farm. I asked, how's your driveway? I remembered the hill you could slide off of in normal weather um, and how icy and snowy it was this day. Oh, it's fine. Just make sure to put it in four-wheel drive when you get to the bottom of the hill because the creek has flooded and iced over, so there are about six inches of solid ice for 20 to 30 feet you've got to get across before going up that slippery hill. Um, are you crazy? I'm not going over that. How about you get your animal to the road and I will meet you there? Oh, Doc, I can't cross over all that ice. So, yeah, when my health and safety is ignored, I wonder about people's priorities. Well, I know it's their animal. That's their priority. But I just began to realize that even my life and my health and my ability to provide services to other animals is judged as inconsequential in many clients' eyes. And no, it's not everyone. Some call and ask what they can do until the river goes down. But the number of people who don't care about their vet's life seems incredibly high. Once, it had just stopped raining. I went out to a collect, fixed the horse, and was packing up to leave. It was crowded with multiple cars of all the people there to see the sick horse, and I was maneuvering to point the truck down the hill and as I did so, I went into the grass with one tire. Then I was sliding. The entire truck was sliding. I just kept looking around because the truck just kept slowly turning in circles and sliding down the hill 
no matter what I did. And there was a giant deep creek ditch approaching. I remember thinking, because I had time as I watched everything slide around me, I'm glad I just bought my building, because if this had happened a year earlier, I would have shut down the business, because I was about ready to lose my truck when it flipped into a creek. Thankfully, the truck got stuck on a young tree on the creek bank, but that tree was all that saved my truck from flipping over and likely being totaled. I remember afterwards the owners were like, yeah, we should have warned you, Doc. That happened to the last five people that were here after it rained, too. But it gets more blatant. I was told I shouldn't take a week of vacation for my honeymoon. What could I possibly do on my honeymoon? I needed to be available in case there was an emergency. And so many people prioritize their animals so high or expect us to prioritize them highly even if they don't. I got a call once after hours, or early hours. It was right before I headed down to work and a horse was colicking. I said, put it in the trailer and bring it on down to the clinic. I'll meet you there. I've got other people with sick animals scheduled to come in. It'll be cheaper for you and a trailer ride can help a horse with colic. No, Doc. I can't do that. Um, I'm sorry. Do you have a trailer? Yes, I do. Do you have a truck? Yes. Do they both work? Well, of course they do. And this is a miniature, so if you had to, you could push it on the trailer. Right? Oh, yeah. So why can't you trailer it down? Well, I've been waiting for a delivery, and it may come sometime today. Uh, okay, but this would be good for your horse. Yeah, but I've been waiting for this delivery. I was getting frustrated, and I just blurted out, So the delivery man ranks above your horse and your vet? No, Doc, that's unfair. I've just been waiting a long time for this delivery. I was totally befuddled. I just sat on phone in silence for a minute. I eventually went out and saw the horse because it wasn't going to get treated otherwise. I'm still not sure if that was the right decision. Because what about my responsibilities at the office? But I was just shocked. Sure, there are multiple ways to treat colic, but my medical advice was being completely ignored as well as the other sick animals I was trying to see. This person was ignoring what I thought would be better medical treatment and one they could achieve. I was asking them to bring a horse that could trailer, because I knew some of their horses couldn't, and this person was ignoring what I thought would be better medical treatment, as well as putting their horse above other clients' sick animals' needs. And then maybe I was taking it too personally, but I just thought I deserved, if I'm willing to treat a true emergency by saying, come on in, I'll take care of it, to say I'm more important than a delivery guy. Or, if it's not more critical than a delivery guy, then maybe it's not an emergency. Or maybe delay the guy? I, I don't know. The whole drive out there, I was thinking, why should I interrupt my day and these other clients if we can't even interrupt the delivery man? If in, and I apologize to all the delivery men out there, I'm glad to get my packages. If, in the client's view, this medical problem wasn't serious enough to warrant rushing right into the vet, why was I expected to rush right out? I asked myself if I was addressing the horse's best interest, and I asked if the owner was addressing the horse's best interest. 
I am biased, of course, but I was giving the best advice in the situation I knew how to in order to try to treat it, to give good care and be able to treat other animals at the same time. I knew this owner. They always acted like they were caring for the horses, but it just didn't seem like they were really caring for the horse when it came down to it. The next one was a time that broke me. I'd been thinking about my after-hour emergency care stance for a while, but this client cemented my decision. I came down with a stomach bug one weekend. It was, well, I wasn't leaving the vicinity of the toilet. I decided to turn my answering machine to tell people I couldn't see emergencies because I couldn't. Before I could change the phones, it rang and I answered. Someone had a sick horse. I told them blatantly I could not come out. I don't think I told them they could call another vet, but I was too delirious to remember the specifics. I did discuss with them that they could try some medications of which they had and some of which they could pick up tomorrow morning when I hoped I was back in the office. The next day came and I did make it to the office. I had appointments of sick animals to see. I had to get in, right? Animals needed me. When I got in, I told my tech, catch me if I fall down. I was still that sick. The client called first thing and it wasn't good enough to just give drugs. She needed the horse seen. So being we were trying to get animals hauled to the clinic to be able to see more animals and we had an appointment that day, my receptionist said, Dr. Nathan is still pretty sick and he doesn't feel he can come out safely today, but we can dispense drugs or you can bring the horse in and he'll take a look at it. If you'd like a farm call, he thinks he'll be better enough by Wednesday to drive out. The client stated how ridiculous that was, hung up the phone, and promptly started using another veterinarian. Again, I remember the loyalty thing in my mind. I had seen emergencies for this client before. I came in to work and was seeing animals when I should have been home in bed, but the client couldn't even meet me halfway. If I didn't drive out when I was having my tech watch to see if I would fall down, my services were not good enough. This just really broke me. It made me wonder if anyone cared about my life. This wasn't a new client. This was a client of about a decade whom we had worked with through the day and through nighttime emergencies. And when I was saying, I just don't think I can safely come out and work on your horse, I'd rather do it with the staff to support me so I don't make a mistake on your horse. It's too much of an inconvenience to bring their horse to an appointment. I was supposed to drop seeing other sick animals and put myself at more risk than I already was for this horse. I was literally telling people I may not be able to stand, but I came into the clinic to see things, but clients were still getting upset I wasn't giving enough. I made it through the day and recovered, and without pushing myself was pretty much back to normal Tuesday. And I pushed myself through before and it's been okay. But what if I pushed myself harder to see that horse? Would it have been Wednesday? Thursday? Friday before I recovered? How many mistakes would I have made if I was even more exhausted at the end of the week? Should I have really been there Monday? Why am I going out and giving up all my evenings and weekends to be on emergency call if this is res the respect I get? 
Take a listen to my podcast episode, Clinic Changes Part 2. This talks about hauling animals to a central location and how back in 2010, when I started seeing horses, there were about 18 vets working on large animals. Now, depending slightly how you count, about six. This is a big difference. This last client I just mentioned got upset that I was sick, left me, and transferred to one of the other five vets. I hope that vet doesn't get sick. One interesting thing that I've started to notice in the past two to three years is that people are noticing there are not as many options of veterinarians. As a vet on farm calls or even at the stocks in the office, I keep getting the remarks, yeah, there's just no one seeing horses. Or as I start to do surgery on their horse, I say, yeah, there's just not many options for horse vets. It always makes me pause. I don't think they mean I'm their last choice and they only want me working on their horse as a last resort. No, they wouldn't say that as I was about ready to start cutting on their horse. All the same, when you hear it every few appointments and you're standing there doing the work they are complaining no one will do, it makes you wonder how wanted you are. What really gets me is the clients who get hostile about it. They get angry towards my staff or myself about the fact there are so few large animal veterinarians. Why are there so few of you? Why aren't you getting more help to offer more services? Why is it so long to get an appointment? Oddly enough, it reminds me of the people in the restaurant yelling at the one server who is taking so long to get customers' food out because all the other servers didn't show up to work. People yell at the server for their slow work, but they showed up. They are there serving you. Why don't you go yell at the other server who got sick or the other server who skipped work to go see a concert? Why don't you yell at the person who quit without giving two weeks' notice? When you yell at the server who is actually doing their job, it makes them less inclined to want that job because of the bad work environment. When you yell at the vets who are still working on large animals, they wonder why they should keep doing large animals if this is the thanks they get. It's not like the restaurant servers or veterinarians need praise for the work we do. It's a job. We do it. But not being yelled at while doing our job should be a benefit everyone can enjoy. Now, I mentioned a question we get is why we aren't doing more to get more large animal vets on board at our clinic. First, as discussed in other episodes, we are doing tons of things to bring in more vets. We are trying to see more animals to make more money, which people may be like, it's not all about the money, Doc. Well, you're completely wrong. It is all about the money. If I can't get money to buy supplies and pay bills, I can't serve my patients. Interestingly enough, a vet in, the com- in my community went out of business because he couldn't pay his bills because he didn't make people pay their bills. But more to the point, new vets demand making money for the work they do. Apparently, they don't want to be slaves and work for free. New vet students are coming out and asking more than I've ever paid myself as a starting salary. I've been watching where students are going into veterinary medicine as well. I have vet students come to my clinic. I let them come both to teach them for extra help and to have a working interview with people that may come into veterinary medicine which I could hire. The students I have are not going into large animal medicine. 
They tell me it doesn't seem worth it. I know of only one student of mine that's taking a full-time job in large animal medicine. Some others dabble. Now, I admit I'm probably not a fantastic businessman, but I did realize I needed to generate more money to support another veterinarian. So what have I been doing? I remodeled a clinic so we have room to work on multiple patients. I started requesting people bring their animals to me so we can see more and make more money by seeing more animals in the same amount of time and by offering more services. I hired more staff to have the support staff to help see the an more animals. I increased prices to generate more money. All this I did at different times. And guess what I got? Complaints at every step of the way. Why do you need this clinic? You shouldn't work on dogs and cats, just horses. Why aren't you doing more dog and cat work? You shouldn't offer more services. We need more services. We shouldn't have to bring our animals to you, and you shouldn't raise your farm call prices. Why did the technician take my sutures out? We're going to another vet. The doctor should have taken the sutures out. As a business owner, we are usually trying to help our clients, but we are usually thinking long term. But we also want trust. I find only a handful of clients actually trust me. They don't trust the technician I hired has the skills to see if that suture line needed a doctor to look at it. They don't trust me to set the price fairly, and they don't trust me when I add more lucrative species in order to hire another vet that would continue working on large animals and extend the services clients were asking for. They don't trust me to tell them when they should haul an animal in or not. When you don't trust your veterinarians, are they going to continue offering services to you? And statistically, they aren't. Coming out of vet school, according to an NPR article, 8% of new vet students are going into mixed animal practices, and fewer than 3% are working exclusively with food animals. Other data I have seen suggest in about five years, half of vets who have went to horse work or large animal work have moved to small animal work. So how can I entice the few vets going into mixed animal work to come to my clinic? Well, in my rural area, I'm just not going to be able to offer the salaries that companion animal clinics can in the city. So in order to get as close as possible, I need to see more patients and offer more services. Hence my clinic. I love the clinic too because I love being able to manage multiple cases at once. This is a reason I've been telling people to start trailering into the clinic, as discussed in my horse trailer episode. I can see animals faster, which is what clients want, and then I generate more income, which is what a potential second veterinarian wants. One of the other things I wanted to offer my potential vets is no after-hour emergency service. That's what the big clinic north of me started doing. The vets work a normal day shift and go home without being interrupted. How could I, as an employer, ask vets to get paid less and work more hours? Hmm, not seeing a way to explain that one, are we? Seems like I should stop offering after-hour emergency service. Another issue I was running into. Many of the people practicing large animal are older and are set to retire in the next 10 years, meaning I likely wasn't going to find an experienced large animal practitioner. So I would get a student. Now I teach vet students. I like it, 
and as an experienced practice owner, I am happy teaching and mentoring young veterinarians. I had help when I started, and I want to continue that tradition of helping young veterinarians. Thanks, JT, John, Dan, Paul, Phil. <laughs> yeah, I need a lot of help. But the point of me hiring another vet would be to get time off. When young vets will still need help is during critical emergencies. If I hired someone, I wouldn't want to be interrupted at night as much. I would rather do my mentoring during the day. After all, I'm hiring someone to get a break from 12 years of being on call. I said to myself, if I stop seeing after-hour emergencies, the young vet may want to work because they don't have that burden, and I can just mentor during the day instead of being tied to my phone at night. But what were clients to do if they had an after-hour emergency? Well, I set my phones up to refer people to my website, which had a list of people they could call in an emergency. Were those people close? No. Were some of those people understaffed? Yes. Were there long wait times? Yes. Did everyone have a horse trailer or stock trailer for their large animals? Probably not. Were those clinics always going to be in operation? I, I have no clue. Some of the names I gave were also single practitioners. So at the beginning of 2023, I turned my ER phone off at night. This was one of my hardest decisions because it goes so against the grain of what I'm trained for, but not the numbers. And look at the numbers I gave earlier. I was actually seeing more emergencies at the clinic during the day with staff than I was at night with just me and the truck. If you call before close, we still get you in, even if it takes us out later at night. So I was still seeing emergencies, actually more emergencies, but I was managing them better. And then I would go home and get a full night's sleep without a phone interrupting me, because I don't have the phone on after hours anymore. I can't say I regret the decision. I know there are some midnight emergencies I'm not able to help with, but were a few midnight emergencies worth the trade of seeing so many extra emergencies during the day? And are people treating emergencies as emergencies? While writing this article, my staff called and told me of a horse with an emergency. It's 5.50 p.m. These were not regular clients, and they had no regular vet. They had noticed the issue at 9 a.m., they decide to wait until now to call. It was more convenient for them that way. It was a simple thing for me. They weren't anywhere near me. They weren't in my practice range. They had no vet covering their area. I wonder why. So what have these last episodes been? An apology? No, definitely not. Have they been a statement of what veterinarians should do across the country? No, certainly not either. What then? It's just a simple explanation of a decision that took over a decade to make. This is how I came to that decision. I've been accused of coming to decisions slow, likely because I'm trying to ease clients and myself into change, because change is hard. What I am saying is, as a veterinarian, you need to look at your practice and the way you practice and ask, is this acceptable to me? There was a time in my life I liked the emergency work and being awoken at all hours of the night. If that is what you thrive on as a vet, go for it. If you are in that situation now and realize you want a different kind of practice, 
change it. I mean, a lot of this may not apply to big practices. You may work at a multi-vet practice and only be on call one week out of four. Not a bad lifestyle compared to a solo or two-vet practice practitioners who 24-7, 365 it. I, I don't know your situation, but I do caution you to evaluate your practice. Remember, it's 2023. Are you practicing like your mentors did? If so, do you think maybe you should reevaluate how you run your business? Has nothing changed in the past 20 or 30 years that may make your life easier if you added or subtracted it to your practice? Change is hard. As business owners, as veterinarians, and as clients, we don't want to do it. But we can't bury our head in the sand as the world changes. The practice I walked into cleaning cages and the practice I run are two different beasts. The practice I started and the practice I now own are almost completely foreign to each other. This is me reacting to clients once in my own changing life. For clients, do you expect your vet to practice like they did 30 years ago? Do you act the same you did 30 years ago? Has the world not changed at all in 30 years? And do you trust your vet to navigate those changes to keep their business afloat so they can serve you? I hope this episode helps you see how we make the decisions we do as vets and how we are trying to serve you. I still enjoy emergencies, but I've sutured a lot of horses during the day and I've sutured a lot at midnight, and I can do them better with staff during the day. So it's not worth the extra grief to keep the phone on for midnight emergencies. Do we see emergencies during the day? Yes. We just turn the phone off at a certain point and direct you to emergency hospitals. But look why we as vets are making these decisions. As a client, do you just call during an emergency and not to prevent emergencies? Do you use another vet for the easy work? Society has turned transactional, and that's fine, but you can't have your cake and eat it too. If you want a transactional society, you won't get the benefits of a local doctor coming out in the middle of the night for your emergency. And if you won't change, your vets will, because right now they have the option to get a more balanced life. If you come with them on the journey, you may just find your life is more balanced as well. Now, are my decisions the best answer? I don't know. It's what I've come up with. I'm willing to hear from clients, and I think other vets are too. We keep making changes, but we rarely hear constructive criticism. We just hear criticism. We want to work with clients and come up with a solution, but so far clients just tell me I should basically be on call for them 24-7 and just drop everything for them individually. As vets, we need solutions that will benefit more than individual clients. So before you complain to your vet that they aren't doing things like they did 10 years ago or complaining that they go on their honeymoon, maybe this episode will show you why they have made their changes and that if you truly consider the problem and come up with a good solution, maybe your vet will take your advice. I'm Dr. Nathan. Thanks for listening. I hope our discussions are valuable to you and aid in giving perspective. If you want to contact us, please reach out to theveterinarypodcast at gmail.com. You can find a complete list of the podcast episodes on SoundCloud. 
If you find this information helpful and want more content, please join our Patreon, patreon.com slash the veterinary podcast. And don't forget to follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the veterinary podcast. As always, thanks for listening, and I hope this information is helpful to you. If you do find it helpful, please like it, share it, so other people may find it helpful as well.